are starting a new month, and it's a little different this month. As you can see, this month is going to be a series, This Is My Story. And uh, all the teaching pastors are going to come and share their story. What's difficult is that for some of you, I thought, I said in the first service, how difficult it is for me to share my story because I've been sharing my story with you guys for 30 years. Now, the story keeps growing, so that's what made this so difficult. But uh, I had a couple of people come up uh, that have known me since before the church was here, and they go, we even heard some things you didn't, uh, never shared. Um, so get ready for my story. But what's interesting about a story is how much the Bible talks about telling your story. In fact, there was a man who made... Uh, became a millionaire, very famous, Mr. Rogers. How many know Mr. Rogers? Mr. Rogers and his neighborhood. And how, he, how did he become famous? How did he make his millions of dollars? He did it by telling stories. And, the, 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 well, one, one of the connections we have with Mr. Rogers, he's a graduate of Rollins College. Uh, so kind of a local thing. But in his wallet, he heard from a, a gentleman before he started his career, a quote. And he, he wrote the quote down and he kept it in his wallet till the day he died. And the quote was this, frankly, there isn't anyone you could not learn to love once you've heard their story. We're, we're uh, every culture around the world is, they have a history of storytelling. Everyone has a style. Uh, it doesn't matter what country, what culture. It's Things are handed down by stories. Everyone loves a crazy uncle in your family because he could tell a great story. And the Bible has quite a bit to say. Now, I did not because this is the beginning of a month series. Those of you who are coming after me to teach, I did not get every scripture and put it up there. I left you some to preach from. So you can thank me later. Look what the Bible has to say, First uh, Peter. It goes, and if someone asks you about the hope and joy in you, always be ready to tell your story. You don't have to preach. The one thing that the Bible does, it doesn't tell you to preach. It tells people who are apostles, you know, if, if you have a position, you know, it says, you know, to to teach your children, to, you know, you can preach. But it tells every believer to tell their story if you're asked. How can anyone be offended if they ask you for something and all you do is tell them a story? That's all. It, it, it's, I can't argue with your story. Why? You were there and I wasn't. I, I have a friend, Crystal and I have been friends with for... 40, 40 some years, and I've recently started to fish with him because he knows where all the fishing spots are. Um, <clears throat> of course, I've been sworn to secrecy, so don't come ask. He made me raise my hand. So he went fishing a couple of weeks ago by himself. It was late in the evening, and he was going through this creek. He goes, I saw something coming. It was huge. I thought it was a manatee. He goes, but then a fin came up. And the fin had many ribs in it. But then his nose came up like, he goes, 
I must have seen a sea monster. He asked me, what do you think about that? I'm like, you were drunk? <laughs> but he doesn't drink. So I was like, okay, uh, he doesn't drink, doesn't soak. And, uh, wow. <laughs> to say anything else, I go, you know, it would have to be, you liar. You know, you're delusional. You should, you know, you're making that up. No, I wasn't there. He was. He swears it was a sea monster. And so all I can do and remain friends is go, wow. And, you know, so it is it's, it's, it's when people ask for why, why is it, what, how can you be experiencing what you're experiencing and have hope? How many times do you have to get kicked down? How many times do you get refused and you're okay? Tell your story, Hawaii. Tell your story. It's as simple as that. There's no arguing with it. Well, the, the, another scripture that goes along this is 1 John. 1 John is just, we saw it, we heard it. And now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive is simple. We want you to enjoy what we've, we've experienced. It's just all in a story. We saw it. We heard it. And so this is really pointing to us. You know, we need to pay attention to where we came from. To what we were before we recognized that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. What was it that prompted you to, to, to that moment when you said, Lord, Lord I, I accept what you've done for me. I accept the gift of salvation. And then to, how has your life changed since then? It's a great story. But sometimes we're not paying attention to our story. So when I was doing this, this was really hard for me, not just because so many of you have heard so much of my story, but I'm old. I have a lot of story. This, I can, I can and you heard so many of them. So I've, I've kind of chopped it down. I put it in the notes Actually, little stop signs. Don't go beyond this. Don't go on a rabbit trail. You've got stories to tell till the cows come home. Oh, just tell this story. So, we're going to start. You want to hear a story? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Once upon a time, <laughs> I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, the day I was born... Uh, my parents were connected uh, to church. They went to church. We, I went to church every Sunday. I never heard my father curse. I never heard my father say a, a, a negative saying about another human being. Never. I didn't realize how rare it was, and I didn't appreciate it until he was gone. Until I heard other people's stories. And it makes my heart just break. That I didn't, I didn't have that. 
So I was the, the last of three children. There's my story. And now notice the one in the middle. I've always found that if you just kind of hold your mouth open a little bit, you look more intelligent than the rest of them. <laughs> if, now here's a little embarrassing thing about this. My kids, my brother and sister, are very small. So they're seven and eight years older than I am. I'm one. Yes, I'm already wearing suspenders because it's the only thing that fits me at one. I, I didn't, my mother took me to the doctor because he's two years old and he's not even trying to walk. She says, my other, my other kids were walking before one. She says, what's wrong with him? And the doctor with his bedside manner said, said, can you blame him? If he stood up as big as he is, he'd break his ankles. <laughs> so, that's the family I was, I was born into. And uh, my brother and sister were good people. I, I never heard either one of them in my life curse either. Yet it's uh, 17, my sister got impregnated in high school. And my parents sent her off. She had the baby. They gave the baby up for adoption. So actually our family, I believe, is a recipient of loving parents that who would have thought that we would be adopting, that David and Aslan would be adopting. And um, somebody would want their child to have two parents and you know, have all the opportunities of two-parent home. So things weren't perfect that you go to church. Things weren't perfect, though, you, you know, you don't cuss and spit. and yeah. Things go wrong. Though on the outside, everything was looking good. In fact, I was, I was in elementary school when my sister had to go off and have the baby. I never even knew she had a baby until I was an adult. They kept it quiet. Her life goes on. She becomes a stewardess. A stewardess. She marries uh, a dentist, and they live happily ever after. Have kids themselves. So in high school, I was a, a popular guy. You know those things in superlatives. You know, where people vote on these, like, seven categories, most likely to succeed. I wasn't in that category. <laughs> most handsome wasn't in that one. But in a school of 2,000 students, and everyone in the school votes, you're lucky just to get nominated. I got three of the seven categories. Easiest to meet, friendliest, and the funniest some things still stick. It's just how I think. It's not a gift. It's just that's how I see things. Yet, on a weekend, if I didn't get picked up, because I was like a half a year younger than everybody, they got their license before I did. If I didn't get picked up to, because they wanted someone to have fun with, and I was left by myself on the weekend with nothing to do. I couldn't stand me. 
Because one of the ways that I became the funniest was at the expense of someone else. I didn't learn it from a dad. I never heard him say an evil thing. There was something in me that I could become popular. I could be funny at someone else's expense. Someone who had some, something wrong with them. Somebody who was short or tall or skinny or overweight or had a lisp. And when I was by myself, I hated me. I hated me because of what I did to be popular. I would sleep with the radio on at night because there was something, a voice in my head that would condemn me for the things that I did during the day that made everyone like me. I could not stand to be alone and deal with the condemnation, the fear of not being liked. Something was just taunting me constantly. So around 11th grade, early, maybe it might have been early, I heard of this evangelist and uh, I, a bunch of people were going to it. I go there and he's just talking about how people need to accept Jesus Christ for their Savior, not their, God, not their parents' God, but Jesus Christ is their Savior. Everyone needs to make an adult decision to serve the Lord. And it realized, I realized I was just writing on what my parents, they were Christian, so I'm a Christian. And I realized that evening, I said, you know what? I need to make a decision that Jesus died for me, not just my family. That whole family thing wasn't working. My parents did not know who I was. My mother would brag about what a good baby I was. I've never been spanked. I was so obedient. My parents would tell me something, I would do it, and then I would disobey them privately in my bedroom. <laughs> but I got spanked. The world spanked me. My conscience spanked me because I knew I was doing wrong. I knew I would be incredibly disappointing to my parents if they knew what I was doing and liking it while I was doing it. When I was in ninth grade, there was a lady in our street that would buy us beer and liquor. So I wouldn't eat lunch. I wouldn't take my lunch money. I'd save it till the end of the week. And... She'd go down and buy for one for 99 cents a six pack of ABC ale. Boy, that was nasty. <laughs> and then it started where we would hide it in the bushes and I'd drink it before school. Then in ninth grade, whenever my parents would go away for the weekend, I would take the second family car out for a little joyride. We're talking about 14 years old. And then it got so bad that when they would go to bed, I would sneak it out. I'd push it out of the driveway, push it down the street, and take off from about 2 o'clock in the morning till 4 while they were asleep. And then whenever I'd be by myself, I'd be having fun while I was doing it, but then when I get by myself, I would hate myself. Because of the secret life and desire to do these things, even though it was tearing me up. So that's why when this evangelist said, you know, you need to make a decision 
to serve the Lord. You need to accept, accept him as your Savior. And I did that night. And you know what? It was better. But I, all it was was fire insurance. You know, if you get fire insurance in case your house burns down. You know, they're going to build it back. Well, I accepted Jesus like fire insurance just in case I get killed one night while I'm out driving a car at 14, maybe drinking a little bit, and I get killed. I got fire insurance and I'm going to go to heaven. You know, hell's fire. <laughs> I get to skip, skip the hell part. But I still had to deal with the condemnation. So about a year later, I end up, I'm out in Colorado on top of a mountain. I'm looking down, it's called the Continental Divide. It's where a glacier had come down and divided the continent. Mountains on this side, mountains on that side. No moon, the stars. I've never in my life and since then ever seen more stars. It was hard to find a black spot in the sky. Because I'm above, a, you know, I'm, you're about 10,000 feet in the air, 12,000 feet up in the mountains. Clear atmosphere, no moon, no lights, and it's just unbelievable. You see snow-capped mountains, and in the day, they melt and make the streams provide. And it was that moment I realized there was some divine presence that created this. It did not just happen. The earth, my, my great-great-great-great-grandmother was, just wasn't formed out of some warm goo in the ocean that kept slapping a rock, and then all of them... My relatives come out of that. Something designed this body. Evolution doesn't, you can't just evolve an eyeball to where you can see. Either you can't see or you see. The eyeball cannot evolve. There is no evolution for the eyeball. It had to have been created. And it was right then I said, you know, Lord, If you did this, and I believe you did, I just don't want to accept Jesus. I want to come under your lordship. I want to come under the same control, divine purpose as all of this that I'm looking at. I, I, I want to move past it and go, hey, I'm saved, you know, and clear my conscience to where I want to be under your lordship. You are my lord. You call the punches. I want to serve your purpose. My goal wasn't anything other than to come under his lordship and do what he puts in front of me. And from that moment on, I've, 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 I've been in the ministry, just made myself available to clean toilets, to teach. You know, I used to be a part of Orange County to teach people, adults, reading. You know, whatever it was, I made myself available. Shortly after that, I met Crystal. That was my gift from God, I think. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, Mark, if, if you're not listening to me, I'm going to give you somebody who will speak for me. <laughs> Pull back on those reins. Well, Crystal and I were married for a couple of years. And 
I served as a youth pastor for a couple of years uh, at two churches that her father was a uh, pastor of. And we got married, and I kept working. I worked with uh, outreaches in high school. I, we moved to Philadelphia. I'm moving the story ahead. I moved, we moved to Philadelphia where I was associate pastor. I had a business, and I was the associate pastor of Assemblies of God in North Philly, Wincote. My, we were there for four years. My dad was ill. Crystal wanted to move back, be closer to her parents. So we had two children at the time. And <clears throat> on my way back, my brother had inherited with, with his wife, his, on his wife's side, 400 acres of timberland. And he said, he goes, well, look, I know you're going to take a few months off. When you get down there, could you go to Alabama up at Auburn? You, you know, because I knew... Auburn lived there. He goes in this little town next to Auburn. It's called Lopeshapoka. He goes, we have 400 acres. There's a, a, an old farmhouse there. It's built before the Civil War. He goes, you can have that if you do this for me, you know. But go down there and see uh, how I can sell the wood, then sell the land, make make the most money. It's called taking a cruise. A guy actually comes out, and they count how many trees, how many trees per acre, what kind of trees, that, you know, see what the worth is. And so I was getting estimates, and I was there, you know, back and forth, back and forth for a couple of months. Well, while I was doing that, I was studying the book of Nehemiah. And it, it was a fascinating study, because I had nothing to do. The crystal was in Lake City, and um, so I would, in the evening, I would just go to the hotel and I study Nehemiah. There's great stories. And in this book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had a burden to rebuild a destroyed wall, a destroyed city called Jerusalem. It was just in rubble. And he decides to rebuild it. He gets the okay to rebuild the city. And immediately when he starts rebuilding he has enemies that come. One's called Sam Ballot. Sam Ballot comes along, and he's all upset because Nehemiah wants to rebuild what's broken down. It's not just like anytime you, if you get something you want to do, if someone comes along and just says, "You're wasting your time. You'll never do it. You can't do that." And that's what Nehemiah was facing. So. Uh, Sam Ballot said, you know, you can't rebuild out stones that have been burnt. You can't, re you, the, you, you can't rebuild. It's just rubbish. It's garbage. If a fox jumps on the wall, it would knock it down. And you think you're going to build that wall? That's foolishness. It is just rubbish. I thought, man, those are pretty tough words. You know, because I was a kid who grew up. And whenever I was by myself, those are the words that I would hear. You're rubbish. You're garbage. For you know how you, you made yourself popular by destroying other people. You're just a bad person. So I go, the next day I get up, I meet the gentleman. He's one of many. But this one, I think I was going to go with. He gave me the best price. I said, so... He goes, you know, he gives me a price. I said, yeah, it looks really good. What's your time period? So we're going through all the business stuff. And uh, I said, so what are you going to do with these 
trees. I mean, the, some of them are huge and, you know, small and this size, that size, this kind, you know, that kind. And I go, you're going to make lumber, you know, big, you know, beams, something, you know, yeah, just something magnificent. You know, I'm thinking all this great stuff. He goes, nah, probably toilet paper at best. Maybe some boxes. It's, it's going to be pulp, you know, just junk, garbage, rubbish, trash, trash trees. I went, did he say rubbish? Did he say trash? Good for nothing? I'm starting to think about Nehemiah. It just bothered me. I went back and reread the story. I said, this, this old country Alabama boy, they it's just garbage, trash. The only thing he didn't say was if a fox jumped on it, would knock it down. You know? I go to the library, the university, start looking up. What am I going to do? I see this thing about log homes. I can build a log. It's always been in my heart to build. But you know what, Mark? You can't build that. You don't have any training. I have no idea how I'm going to do anything like that. But it just bothered me. It just bothered me that they saw no value in this. It bothered me, and, and there's something revealed in my heart. It bothered me about me that I didn't see value in the people that I was getting popular over. prophet, someone who was prophetic years and years ago before this said to me because Mark, you see value in people that no one else sees I didn't know what that meant but I see value in things that and it just bothers me when anyone calls anyone trash because I was trash I was convinced I was trash because the evil things that I did thought so you know what I did with those logs? It took me a year. But I was going to a church, a little, little church uh, up at Auburn, and I met a fireman. And he told me his dream. His dream was to put this mill together, that he'd, old mill that he drug out of the woods. I told him, I said, how about if we give you $2,500, we build it together, and you cut up logs like this, beams like this, 2x8s, 2x10s, 2x6s. He goes, it's a deal. All because this guy said this is trash. There it is. Story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah built that wall. And he built huge gates. Here's where Crystal studies now the front porch that's trash guys that's garbage but when you give yourself to the Lord he takes trash rubbish has anyone ever thought of you as rubbish have you thought of yourself as rubbish so I build our house couple of years go by. I'm working at a 
big ministry. As the youth pastor, as a children's church pastor, as the young adult pastor, as high school, <laughs> I was kind of the million dollar man. Uh, who's heard of the group Leonard Skinner? Free bird! Okay. Leonard Skinner, in 1979, they had a plane crash, killed the band. The band was called Leonard Skinner. There is no Leonard Skinner. The band fell apart. Well, found out this keyboard player for the Leonard Skinner band, and I think maybe the bass player, were trying to get back together. Uh, the keyboard player had been in prison for a few years. Trying to get back together, and I said, hey, why don't you get together? We'll have a free concert at this big building church. And we'll say, Leonard Skinner is back. So WMMO, here's a, here's a commercial. In 1979, the demise of the Leonard Skinner band with a plane crash. And this noise, whoosh, but a free concert at this building. Leonard Skinner is back. Oh, my goodness. You've never seen a church parking lot with so many empty beer cans. We made money just on the aluminum drive. And that sweet aroma in the air, I don't know what that was. Whoa. Incredible. We were overwhelmed at the end of it. They had an altar call. After, you know, like they played 20 minutes of free bird. Free, you know, they, the, the people going down to that altar, it was just it's unbelievable. I figured it had to have been about six or 800. There was standing room only in the 1,500. It was just was packed. Shortly after that, I got fired. <laughs> it wasn't just that. It was a kind of the cumulative things I would do like that. <laughs> But it was a brand new building and the board members were all upset because there were beer cans. I bet you half that crowd was drunk or high. I go, that's the crowd I was going for. That's not what we do at this church. <laughs> well, what are you doing? <laughs> so I was like, so I think it was the fourth time they fired me. I come home. I come home with a bunch of people. And Crystal is there. She goes, what's all this? I go, we're having a party. I got fired. She goes, I'm pregnant. <laughs> she didn't have fun. Um, she goes, I don't get this. And so here it goes. What am I going to do? I got six months of severance pay. So I'm not in a real hurry to get a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. But we're in our house. Some of the band said, hey, let's just keep doing what we've been doing. So we do an out, outdoor concert up in St. Augustine. And we're doing some street witnessing. And then we started doing some stuff down on the trail. We got people who, dancers at exotic places. We had a couple of them got saved. A, a number of, of uh, homosexuals, lesbians got saved. Well, I still had friends on staff. 
at the big church. And they said they had a meeting about you. Like, if they had a meeting about me, I said, what did, I got nothing to do with them. I'm just, they go, no, they found out that you're still ministering in the streets. I said, yeah, I said, that's what I do. I said, so what was it? What was the outcome? They go, well, one of the staff people said, there's no concern. They're not going to take any people from this church because what they're preaching to is just, what do you think he said? Rubbish. Bunch of homosexuals. Dancers. Garbage. Shouldn't have said that. They said it to hurt me, but guess what? Nehemiah. Rebuilt a city from garbage. From rubbish. From the worthless. So Crystal and I decided, well, our house was garbage and rubbish, and look what the Lord allowed to happen. So we opened up our house to have church. Your story is his story. My story is his story. We, we are examples of his love. He rebuilds what no one sees any value in. And you know what? This is part of your story because you're here. You are part of what somebody said was rubbish and worth nothing. Stones that have been burnt. You've been burnt so many times no one says anything worthy of you. But the Lord says something different. He sees value where no one sees value. And he's given you your own story. You're a part of this story. You're going to take this story right here and continue it. You're in this story. This is what grew out of my house that was called rubbish, worthless. And had someone not said those words that were meant to harm me, life wouldn't have been born. What words have been said of you that were meant to harm you? And I want you to know, the Lord said, that wasn't supposed to harm you. That was supposed to just put a rocket under your behind and shoot you forward. Take those things that have been said against you and realize the Lord says, build on that. Because I see value. I see value. Always be ready to tell your story. Remember, we started in the beginning with Mr. Rogers. Because people can't help but to fall in love with you when you tell them a story. I want to thank you for being in my story.